that's one of those things that you don't think about in the rehearsal. Yeah. But suddenly appears as something that needs to be dealt with yep. in a concert situation. Yep. And I think there are lots of things in that category. Hi, I'm Ingrid Martin. And I'm Tom Graydon. And you're listening to Season 2 of the Conducting Artistry Podcast. I'm a conductor based in Melbourne, Australia, and I work with everyone from beginner bands to professional orchestras. I'm a fourth-year trombone student studying at the University of Melbourne. I'm doing an internship with Ingrid, following her around and learning about conducting. This season of the podcast, we're going to be discussing what players need from conductors from before the first rehearsal to after the final performance. In our previous episodes, we talked about that nitty-gritty middle of the rehearsal process time where we're figuring things out and what the conductor's job is and what players need from us as conductors. Today, we're going to talk about final rehearsals, that home stretch before the concert and what we need to think about. In your eyes, what are these final rehearsals actually for? What are your focuses? I think the most important thing that we need to do as conductors is help everyone in the room feel secure and confident about what's going to happen in the performance. Mm. And so from my point of view, in other episodes, we talked about this macro, micro, macro journey of starting with the big picture, focusing in on the details and then going back to the big picture. And so now we're in that second macro phase of things. Players want to know how the whole thing goes from start to finish. People want to have played through everything in close proximity to the concert. Yep. I'm sure it's been your experience that you've had a thing and that hasn't happened. Yep. And it's terrifying. Yeah. What does that do for you mentally as a player? I think it just sort of adds a layer of uncertainty that isn't necessary. Like there are some uncertainties in performance that I just, you know, are given that of course things are going to go wrong, but there's this really controllable thing that you can just do. You can just play it all the way through that if you haven't done that, it's this kind of like, oh, this is an extra layer of not knowing what's going to happen. I think you make a great point there about it's really easy to control. It's within our choice mm. to do the run through. And I think that what so often happens for conductors, particularly if you're working in a school or maybe in a university, is that we just run out of time because we yeah. haven't planned properly or things haven't gone how we thought and we spend more time in that middle zone of solving problems. And then it's like suddenly the concert is the next day or the next thing after this rehearsal and you think, oh, but I don't have time to do the run through. Like there's still all these things wrong and I need to fix all the problems. Yep. And we just have to make the running through stuff non-negotiable. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's one of the most important lessons that I've learned with more experience is that that is essential yep. that everyone does the big picture 
And so as a conductor, what that means is that you have to learn to let it go. Yep. So even though you hear stuff and you think, oh, but but that just needs a bit more rehearsal or I could solve that problem. Yeah. That when you're getting to that pointy end of the rehearsal period, you have to be so judicious about what you choose to go after. Yeah. Yep. And prioritizing what is more important, that big picture thing or yep. that tiny problem. Yes, absolutely. And like we've mentioned so many times, lots of things do just get sorted out by doing it again. Yep. So that problem that you're stressed about might actually be fine if you just let the ensemble do the run through yes. of the piece. Yep. And in my mind right now, as we're talking, I'm thinking about something really big, like a symphony that's, you know, an hour or something. And that, that's a lot of time to commit to doing is a run through. Is that something that you would run all the way through a symphony in rehearsals? Yes. Yep. It, again, it depends on the group. But even, even with professionals, I probably would. Yep. Unless I was on a super compressed time frame, because that happens too, that you might have one, one hour call Yep. to rehearse a two-hour concert. Yes. Yeah. So then obviously you can't run things through. Yep. And again, that means you have to be really judicious about what you choose to rehearse and why. Yep. Because people are going to be basically, not they're not sight reading the music, but they're sight playing, playing for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and for your gestures, they're seeing yeah. stuff in the concert they've never seen before. Yeah. And I guess in that context, it's just as important that that, final rehearsal, which in that context might also be the first rehearsal, is all about confidence and making sure everybody feels really okay about playing this music. Exactly. And so then you're prioritizing, okay, well, what are the spots that we really need to do in order for this to be successful? And usually it's going to be transitions or things that you know you do differently to maybe what they did last time or the previous conductor. Yep. Or things that you just already know, oh, that's a tricky corner in the piece. We need to have gone through that. Yep. Or a balance thing that yep. you know you need to do. But in general, when you do have more than the time of the concert to rehearse, yep. <laughs> doing a run through is pretty much essential. Yeah, right. That's really interesting. I mean, I've, I haven't done a lot of that. I think in my my experience in orchestras, actually, yeah, just in orchestras playing long symphonies, I think it's I've mostly only played full symphonies in concerts, um, which yeah can be a little bit nerve wracking. But I've always sort of taken it for granted that that's just how it works. It does depend on the level of experience. Yeah. So and also the time frame of the rehearsals. So if it's a, a compressed rehearsal period, so let's say here at the university and you're doing it over two weeks and then the concert, then that might be a context in which you could get away with not running the whole yeah. thing because people have been rehearsing so regularly, it's fresher in their mind. Yep. And that's more mimicking a sort of professional process where you get together on Tuesday and the concert's on Friday yep. or something like that. Whereas in, say, a community orchestra that rehearses once a week, yeah, that run through on the last rehearsal is 
so important because yeah. the only other time that you might have run it through was in the first rehearsal and that was six weeks ago. Yeah. No yeah. one is going to remember that. Yes. And also it probably sucked <laughs> because it was the first rehearsal and, yep. and people probably were sight reading. They probably didn't practice their parts before they got there. So yeah, it wasn't indicative of what the piece should be or could be. Yeah. And I guess even like from an, like with an expanded rehearsal period with the, where the rehearsals are sort of relatively far apart, you might not have played the second movement for two weeks. So like, it's really important that you play through everything to make sure that everything has been touched on recently and it's all fresh. Yes. And that was something that I remember first thinking about when I was playing in a community orchestra with a colleague who was a really excellent conductor mm-hmm. and, and they had published their rehearsal schedule written out with what was going to be rehearsed each week and what movement. Yep. And that helped me see that big picture. And as a player, know, oh, we're going to rehearse movement two in week three, yep. but not in four and five. And then the run through is in six or something like that. Yep. And so as a player going, oh, okay, so I, I need to be ready for movement two the first time that we do it. And I'm going to have to somehow do something to keep that fresh in my mind mm. so that when we come back to week six, I'm not going to go, how does this go again? Yep. <laughs> Which is real. That's yep. a real experience for people. Yep. And now I think that I've done a bit more of these community projects where it's not my group and we don't rehearse every week, I'm probably more likely to try and touch most things in smaller chunks in every rehearsal. Yeah. Yep. Um, Because coming back to the topic of today, which is final rehearsals, I don't want it to feel unfamiliar on that final rehearsal and I don't want it to feel surprising because those are sort of the opposite of giving people security and confidence. Yep. And that's a fairly recent change for me. And that's a tricky balance because you, you do need to spend an amount of time on something for it to be worthwhile. So it's finding what's like the minimum amount of time you can spend on something so that you can fit all the different, all the different somethings in. Correct. Yeah. And that does take quite a lot of, just sitting down with a piece of paper and planning out and thinking, oh, if I, if I do it, then can I afford to not do it the Mm. next week? And is it better to do 15 minutes in one rehearsal and 15 minutes the next, or would it be better to do half an hour and not do it the next week? And yeah, those are just the reality of planning decisions that we have to make. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't, but I think our goal always has to be that making people feel good in that final rehearsal Mm -hmm. of, yep, I know how things go. I know what I have to do. And now the next time that I execute it, it's going to be in the concert. Yep. So Tom, I want to know from you as a player, when you're getting into that final stretch, like the last couple of rehearsals and and getting ready for the concert, what are the things that maybe sometimes get forgotten or missed out or glossed over 
by conductors that then cause a problem on the performance day? Yeah, I think there's often not actual problems, just like a sort of feeling of sketchiness. <laughs> um, I think stage changes can be one. Like, are we, we actually had this in our last concert, like it was, we haven't been told whether we're supposed to stay on the stage or get off the stage when they're rearranging to put the piano on. Are we, are we moving or are we staying? And it was like this kind of uncertainty in, in one concert, we went off. In the next concert, we stayed on and it was just like, it was really confusing. Um, I think those sorts of things are kind of just another thing to think about, but are actually worthwhile because they make, it would have made us feel more comfortable and confident. <laughs> um, I think also timings, especially when not everyone is on every piece, knowing exactly when you need to be side of stage or knowing exactly how long you have to go back to a dressing room or just wait or like those sorts of things I think are, are really important and helpful to know. Um, and again, uh, generally the job of someone who has lots of jobs to do to tell you that. So it's, it's tricky <laughs> and I understand that there's a lot of a lot of things that can be more of a priority than that, but it would be nice if those things could happen. <laughs> yeah. So that stage change thing, I think is a great doorway into mm. talking about performance preparation and yep. practicing performing. Cause that's one of those things that you don't think about in the rehearsal, Yeah. but suddenly appears as something that needs to be dealt with yep. in a concert situation. Yep. And I think there are lots of things in that category, like when do we stand up for the conductor? Are we yeah. standing up for every piece? Yep. When does the tuning happen? What notes are we tuning to? Because you might be tuning to different notes for different instruments. Yep. Are we tuning to a piano if there's a piano? Yep. If there is a piano, has the piano been tuned to the right yep. frequency? Yep. But then all those other things like, oh, well, are we standing up for the conductor? Is the conductor going to stand us up after the piece? Is the conductor going to stand specific soloists up in a piece? Yeah. Because all of those things can be done well. <laughs> <laughs> or done quite poorly, especially if they're a surprise. Yeah. And it can be really awkward if they're a surprise. Like if someone, you know, someone gets pointed at by the conductor and they're like looking around behind them and then, oh, it's me. And then they, it's like, it's, it's really nice when these things go really smoothly, even if it feels a little bit odd to, to talk about them beforehand. That's right. And I think it's one of those sort of, you know, behind the curtain things of, hmm the theatricality, if you like, yes. of being on stage yep. is it feels really weird, like you said, to practice something that to the audience is going to appear spontaneous, mm. but it actually has to be planned Yeah, for it to look smooth yep. and go well. Yep. And so I think for us as conductors, we have to think about all of those performing elements in these final rehearsals and that's most important for groups that don't perform very often. Yeah. So like school groups, 
some school groups might only do like two public performances a year. Yep. They might have like a mid-year concert and an end-of-year concert. And so, we, you know, we talked earlier about the memory between six weeks ago and the final rehearsal. Yeah. Well, the memory between last six November, yeah. which might have been <laughs> last year's end-of-year concert, and May this year, which is this year's mid-year concert, is a long time. And so long that it kind of almost doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Exactly. And so when we're working with school groups and anyone that doesn't perform very often, I would put community groups often in that category as well because mm. they might be doing, say, between two and four performances a year. They're a long mm. time apart. Is we just And it's not these people's day job. They're not living in the world of performance in the same way that you are here at the university where it's mm. probably constantly on your mind, even though they're a few weeks apart, yep. that we have to specifically practice yeah. standing up and sitting down and yep. people knowing what their cues are. Yes. So I think as a conductor, I've often been what might seem quite micromanagey. <laughs> But in providing really detailed run sheets for yep. people of when the standing up's going to happen and for who, what soloists are going to stand up at the end of each piece, when we tune, when we bow, all of that kind of stuff so that they've got it written down on their music stand. They don't have to rely on their memory. Yep. But the other thing I also like to do is get people to write at the top or the bottom of the piece on the actual sheet music especially if there's a tune, yep. just top left-hand corner, tuning B-flat yep. or whatever. Yeah. And ideally that should be everyone writing that on their music, not just the oboist or the first violinist yes. or whoever you're you know, yeah. tuning for. Just so that, again, if something goes wrong or unexpected, the people are like, oh, yep, that's fine. Yeah. If, you know, I don't know, a light falls over <laughs> or whatever <laughs> just before – like, oh, yeah, that's okay, though. We're still going to tune. Yep. <laughs> that you can sort of prevent uncertainty and yep. that uh, sketchiness yep. <laughs> that you described <laughs> by having it in black and white on paper and back up with stuff yeah. being penciled on the music. And I suppose that's really helpful for you too because then that's one less thing that you have to think about because you can look down at your own sheet and you know that you're not going to miss any soloists and it's, yeah, Yes, and I tend to, with the soloist thing, have it on a post-it note on the last page of the score because even if I've written it on that sheet, that's not what I'm going to be looking at when we finish the piece. Yeah. So we had a concert yesterday and I had the soloists written down of these people are going to stand for this particular thing. Yep. And depending on the group, sometimes it'll be names or sometimes it'll be the instrument Yep. whatever I think is going to help me yeah. do it the best. But just having that so that in the heat of the moment, who knows what could have happened yeah. during the five or 50 minutes of that piece, yeah. I am not going to be thinking about standing people up. Yeah. But when I see that post-it note, I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just nice that those people are not going to be accidentally forgotten because that's terrible. Yeah. If you forget someone and we've all seen that happen and we've all, as a conductor, we've all done it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, I meant to stand up the person and I forgot. Yeah. 
So it just prevents those little things. Yeah. Do you have musical issues that constantly crop up in your rehearsals time and time again? Perhaps you wish your ensemble would play with more dynamic contrast. Or you've noticed that the ensemble always slows down when you're playing music in one in a bar. Maybe the ensemble always cuts off the last note of every bar, preventing the phrases from connecting across the bar line. In my Conducting Bootcamp course, you can find the conducting solutions to your common musical problems. With over two and a half hours of on-demand video content, Conducting Bootcamp might be just what you need to empower your ensemble and elevate your conducting. To find out more, visit conductingartistry.com forward slash learn. As well as writing this stuff down, for those groups that don't perform very often, it's really important for them to actually physically do it. So say, for example, with a school group, in the last couple of rehearsals, I would be wanting to do a complete practice performance, including all of that extra stuff. Yeah. So I would ask them to imagine that they're in the performance space, whatever it is, if that's not where we're rehearsing. And I would pretend we would, if possible, I'll get everyone to get up out of their seats, take their folders, walk into the room from outside and practice walking on stage in the right order, you know, so that people don't trip over each other or the wrong side of the band starts filling on first. You know, so practice everything from the walk on to sitting down. Remember to adjust your music stand in your chair so that you can see the conductor. Put Make sure that your music is in the right order. Sit there quietly if that's what's going to happen. And then the tune and then the announcing the conductor. And then I walk on and then they practice standing up and we practice who do you have to look at that's going to lead the standing up. And then when it's terrible, which it always is the first time, then I say, no, <laughs> And I walk back out of the room and say, let's do it again. (laughs) And then walk back in and then, you know, it gets better. And then, you know, running through all the pieces as if it's a performance with all the bowing and all the standing up of the soloists and no matter what happens, not stopping. Or in the event that you do have to stop, it just happens sometimes that you do it as you would in a performance of just stop from letter L. Yeah. Start again all the way until the very end of the show and the walking off. And it's amazing what that does to the confidence of the group. And I've had the experience of doing it at least once a lot of times. Uh, We mentioned this, I think, in an earlier episode that a couple of years ago after COVID, I had the opportunity to do three practice performances before the show. Yep. And it was amazing. Yeah. That ensemble were just so ready to go. They were so prepared. They knew everything that was going on, but it wasn't for them too much that then the performance was stale. Yeah. Yep. And that was also because they hadn't performed for like two years because of COVID. So three probably would be a bit too much in reality, but I think it's important to not underestimate doing that practice performance multiple times Mm. because you just had this experience going on the tour with the orchestra Yeah, that you got to do multiple performances. What was that like? Oh, it made such a difference. It's amazing. Um, I think 
particularly with the Genestera Piano Concerto, which is a very complicated piece of music, which is notated very oddly. Um, just being able to have a few goes at it made such a difference. The first performance in Melbourne that we did was like, whoa, that was, that was a close one, <laughs> but we made it work. But then by the time we'd finished the last, the last concert of the tour, um, yeah, it was amazing. It was really fun. And we just, yeah, just, and I think, it, yeah, it was only three performances, but just that little bit of repetition meant that we were so much more comfortable. So I think that what you just described, that's what we can do as conductors mm. if we're organized and we've picked the repertoire at a right level yeah. that we can get to being performance ready yep. a few rehearsals out yep. that most of the time in in education and community land, there's only one show. Yeah. There's one performance. And so if we did two practice performances leading up to that one performance, then that one's really the third one yep. that you experienced and you said, oh, it was so fun and we just knew what was going to happen yep. and and it was way better. Yep. So this is in these final rehearsals is our opportunity to create that kind of environment and that kind of experience for players. We've talked about this episode so far about educational context. How does, how does this all apply to a professional context? Well, in professional orchestra land, that last rehearsal in Australia anyway is called the general rehearsal. And the expectation is that you're going to go through everything and all the pieces in concert order. Yep. So in that setting, you probably don't have to worry about teaching them how to stand up <laughs> or, you know, what's going to happen. Yep. But it might be useful out of the rehearsal context to talk to what soloists you're going to stand up at the end, yes. especially if it's a piece that they've never done before. Mm -hmm. If it's a standard repertoire piece, they all expect who's going to get stood up. Yes. The first horn for the Chike 5 second yep. movement solo. But if it's something new, they might get caught off guard. So it'd be good for you to plan that a little Describe in advance. Just someone and say, oh, so I'm going to stand you up at the end. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But there might be a thing that someone did a thing that was just off the chart amazing in the concert and you decide them to stand them up Yeah, and it wasn't planned. That's fine too. They, they're professionals. They can yeah. sort that out. Yeah. But I think the same rule of security and confidence applies mm. with professionals. So because you have comparatively so much less rehearsal time relative to the concert, you want to make sure that as quickly as possible you're getting everyone to that confidence zone of being able to read what you do as a conductor and knowing what you want in the performance. So in that general rehearsal, the things that are going to be less secure and confident for professionals are things that are unfamiliar. Yep. So if you're doing a piece that they've never done before, that might need more attention than the symphony that they've played a hundred times. Yes. Yep. And you might need to allow a little bit of extra time for that, even though you were just mm. planning to run things through. Because that's the one they're going to be less confident and secure on. Yes. And that's what they, they're going to be on high alert. Yes. To be making sure that that thing 
goes well. So the thing that will make them feel most satisfied after a rehearsal will be feeling comfortable on that piece, not playing through the symphony they've played through a million times. Exactly. And this happened to me just a couple of weeks ago doing a series of education concerts with one of the professional orchestras here. And there are a couple of pieces that they'd never done before, Mm. brand new to them. And there are a couple of pieces that I think they'd played in just about every education concert for the last 30 years. And so when we did the run through of the show, that was about them feeling comfortable with the script because Mm -hmm. it was a brand new script that they'd never done before. They'd worked with the presenter, but not with that script. And so they needed to know what the verbal cues were for them getting ready for each piece to start. Yes. And again, you mentioned timing, the timing of, oh, well, this bit of talking is going to go for a couple of minutes, whereas, oh, this is two sentences and then you go into the next piece. And so not being thrown off by that, being ready for it. But when we did that run through, those pieces that they've been playing for 30 years, you know, we did like the first two bars and just a sort of top and tail, be like, it'll be fine. And they were so grateful that they didn't have to play in the Hall of the Mountain King again <laughs> because they were sick of it. Yep. And so that was that was what they needed was to not play that piece. Yep. But the thing that was brand new that had some quite complicated body percussion in it, yep. they had to do that. Yep. And also I knew that I and the presenter had to do that all the way through because we had complicated cues that we had to sort out. Yep. And I knew that she needed the repetition of that to feel yeah. good about it yep. and that I needed the repetition. And so that's the other thing you've got to keep in mind as a conductor is sometimes there are things that you do just need to do for you. Mm. You probably don't want that list to be too long, <laughs> but sometimes that's but there can be some a factor. Yeah. Yep. So in that professional context, making the unfamiliar familiar and certain and confident and particularly if it's an education show, people understanding what their cues are and being confident about the flow and shape of the whole show yep. will go a really long way to them feeling good in the performance. Yep. And don't overdo the war horses. Spend more time making music and less time talking. Great conducting is great rehearsing. When we can communicate non-verbally with clarity and expression, we can rehearse without stopping or talking. Want the trumpets to play less? If you can physically show this while the music is happening, you can save time that would have been spent stopping and talking about it. This gives everyone more of what they want. Time making great music. With over two and a half hours of video content, Conducting Bootcamp gives you the tools to tackle all of the most common musical situations and problems, helping you feel more confident and more effective in both rehearsals and performances. To find out more, visit conductingartistry.com forward slash learn. Tom, what's been the most valuable takeaways for you from this conversation? I think for me the biggest thing I've got is that everything in this these final rehearsals has to be about confidence and security. Um, If you do any rehearsing, it's with the, well, 
yeah, all the rehearsing that you do is with the the mindset of building confidence and building secure a feeling of security for the players. And all the other things you do, like all the the practicing bows and things like that, um, are really important because they all add to the overall feeling of confidence and security. If you've learned something valuable from today's conversation, then spread the word. Share today's episode with a colleague. Send them a text message, share it over email, or share it in a Facebook group so that lots of people can learn because what we all want is better rehearsals. For more great conducting and rehearsing related content, check out my website, conductingartistry.com, where you'll find on-demand video courses, a blog with plenty of free resources, show notes for this episode and all of our other podcast episodes. And you can also sign up to the mailing list to get quality information like this delivered straight to your inbox.